All right, guys, we are starting a new series tonight. Um, in this series, we are going to be doing another book. This book is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and it is written by Nabil Qureshi. And um, it is all about his, this man who his childhood, starting there, how he grew up as a devout Muslim, and then he became a Christian later in his 20s. So he is um, somebody who he is became a great champion for the Christian faith, particularly to those who are Muslim background and Muslims living in the United States. So there are a few reasons that we have decided that we have chosen this book to do. And um, one of those, the first one of those, is that Islam is one of the largest religions in the world. It is, um, I should look this up, but I believe it is third in, as far as numbers go, for religions in the entire world. Um, it's about one in a hundred people in the U.S. are Muslim. So it's not a huge amount. Yeah. Can figure out that percentage pretty quickly. That's one percent, somewhere around there. But the chances of running across one sometime in your life is pretty high. So we and we are called by Jesus to spread the gospel everywhere, and that would include Muslims. And in order to do that, to um, in the end. They would need, for them to be converted, to believe in the gospel, they would need to be convinced that Islam was wrong, that what Muhammad taught was wrong, and that Jesus is the only way um, to God and eternal life. So I just want to turn to a verse real quick. Uh, you can turn there with me, if you like, in 1 Peter chapter 3.15. Um, but before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and pray before we start. Dear Lord, uh, we're thankful for um, the goodness that you show us and that, um, that you have given us the word, that you have given us all that we need to know to find you and to find the truth and to um, enough that we can believe in you and that we can believe in the promises that you have for us. Uh, help us now as we study this book and we study um, your word and how they coincide together and give us wisdom and help us to retain the information tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at, real quick, First Peter at the back of your Bible in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 15. And this is what Peter says. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you, and with meekness and fear. So Peter is telling us that if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the Lord God, always be ready to explain why to someone that you have hope for eternal life, that you have hope to one day live in heaven with God. Explain why you have this joy and do it with meekness. And we've talked about what meekness means before. And meekness means that you are humble, that you don't think highly of yourself, but it does not mean that you are weak. Okay? So 
And that's exactly the attitude that we want to have to be prepared to explain why we follow Jesus. And um, if you have been following along with us on Instagram for the youth group page, we have been going through and each night or morning we've been reading a chapter or two a day of this book. And you can go ahead and listen to that and that way you'll be caught up when we've uh, finish the first part of the book, and this is going to probably be about eight or nine Bible studies long. So, if you've, um, so we have another reason as to why we chose this book, and the reason to do this one in particular is that one, it's twofold, really that. That, this other reason is that one, it really shows the hand of God in Nabil Qureshi, the author's life, and how God works in his own way and that is best fitted for this specific person. That God had Nabil in mind, knew his culture, and knew how to t- speak to him through that, through his, and even his individual personality. And that is true for each of you that God has a way to speak to you specifically. So it just it helps you to look at your own life and to um, be able to see where God's hand is in your own life. Okay? And the second fold part of that is that it helps you to understand what it's like to be a Muslim. Because God is reaching... Nabil, where he is at in his life, in his culture, and because he is Muslim, we get an inside look at what it is like to be a Muslim. And that's pretty important because I'm, although maybe some of you have friends or know of people who are Muslim, you may not at all know what they're like, what they believe, what they do every day, how they follow God. So, I just wanted to emphasize that this importance of being able to understand where somebody comes from when you're going to look for an opportunity to explain who Jesus is to them. And um, if, because if you're looking to see people Muslims like you and me the same as us then you have to see then if you see them as an enemy or you see them as ignorant or foolish or as beneath you you're never going to be able to show them who Jesus is if you have that attitude about them now why did I say that Well, why is what I said true, maybe? Let's, let's change that to, to that question. Why is it true that if you see some as a Muslim as ignorant or foolish or as an enemy, that you'll never be able to share Jesus with them? Well, because the way that Jesus reached you, the way that he reached me, was through love. And Paul says, if you remember, he says the greatest of all gifts is this, love. That's 
That is the greatest gift beyond being able to speak, beyond being able to memorize scripture, being able to um, form an an impenetrable argument. None of that stuff is as important as loving the person that you're talking to. And that's what you need to win hearts. You need to be able to love. And the great thing about that gift is anybody can learn it. Anybody can gain that gift of love. You might not be able to gain the gift of, of being able to easily talk to somebody or have an extrovert personality, but you can learn how to love someone. And this point is especially meaningful today, this very day, because Nabil, after he became a Christian, he became friends with Ravi Zacharias. And you may have know that name, or maybe you've heard him preach on the radio before, um, or watched a YouTube video, but he became friends with Ravi Zacharias, and eventually Ravi became Nabil's mentor. And he um, and they were missionaries together, where they would go in within the U.S. and even other countries, they would go to colleges and universities and speak to people at, in universities about Jesus. And today, this day, Ravi Zacharias died. After 48 years of ministry, he died from cancer. And if I had one quote from to sum up, his life and his ministry of how he shared the gospel to describe him. Um, He would always say this one quote before he took questions from a crowd. He'd give a speech and then he'd want to ask questions about them or allow them to ask questions of him, any question they wanted. And this is what he would say before that. He would say, we answer people, not questions. Mull that over for a second. We answer people, not questions. And his, it was his heart that always reached out to people. Same thing with Nabil, that they always wanted to make a connection with the people. They didn't care about, I have the right answer and the right logic, and I, under, I know the facts better than you. And I answered the question. It wasn't about answering that question perfectly, but it was about reaching those people where they were at with the struggles that they had and seeing that they were a person who was broken, that they needed the love of Jesus. And I want us to keep that in our mind as we go through this book that we are here to have relationships with people. It's not about the facts. It's not about being, uh, being right or wrong. It is about loving that person so that you can show them Jesus's love through your action. Okay. That if you focus on just being right, you will never show them who Jesus is. Although God is always right, no matter what, he is the truth, but he is also, equally importantly, he is love. So, let's, um, 
Quickly, I want to just look at who Nabil Qureshi is. So some of you may have been listening along for the chapters in this, and that's pretty much all the chapters we've read have all been from his childhood, have just, and through that, he's explained what it's like to grow up a Muslim, what it's like um, to um, be in that religion, to practice that religion. So he was born in 1983 in the U.S., so not that long ago, it might seem a little bit, but not that long ago, he was born in the United States, and his parents are first-generation Muslims. Um, so they are Americans, they became American citizens, but they came from Pakistan um, in their, in, when they were young adults. And his family is very religious. They are extremely religious Muslim, Muslims, um, as in they never, ever miss a service at their mosque, which is like a church. Okay? So, um, we're going to have some terms to define here, okay? Because this is, if you're not, and I, and I am not even extremely familiar, there are things that I do not know because it's, Imagine trying to learn Christianity just in eight weeks and know everything about it. It's, you can't do it. So it's the same thing with Islam, okay, in that you can't know everything. So we have a couple terms. So Islam, some of you may have heard that word. And the word Islam means... Um, well, let me find it here, means submission to the will of God. Now, the word they use for God, I'm just going to pop that down here for you, is Allah. The translation is just God. And they say that there is one God. Okay, so this is not a polytheism religion. There's one God for them, Sim similar to us. Okay, um, the difference is they do not believe in a trinity, and there'll be a lot of that about that in the book. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God or that there is a Holy Spirit. They just believe in God, not even God the Father. Okay, so, um, but. Remember, and this will come in later into play, that the people where, that Muhammad was descended from are descended from Ishmael. He was Abraham's son. Okay, So they do believe they have a background in following the true God, the God of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, But it's changed in meaning. Um, so then we have Muslim. Okay. And that term is just someone who, uh, a follower of Islam. All right. Um, so, Nabil, when, his, when he's growing up, he moves a lot because his father is in the United States Navy. Um, he lives in California, he lives in Scotland, he lives in Virginia, um, and Connecticut as well, I believe. And he, and then after growing up, he goes to college, and it's there that he meets 
which we haven't met yet in the book, but you'll meet him soon, is his best friend, David Wood, who is a Christian. He's a Baptist Christian, and he be, and through their relationship after, I think, eight or nine years, Nabil ends up becoming a Christian at 22 years old. All right, so that's as far as we're going to go. That's enough background for you to know now. You'll learn more as we go through the book. Um, but here's a couple more terms before we get into talking and describe the religion a little bit more so you have an understanding of it. Um, as far as Islam goes, where we are looking to with um, Muslim and Islam, okay, pick, think of it like this. As far as a Jew is the term for someone who follows Judaism. Um, or a Christian is one who follows Christ. Okay, it's, it's similar in that term, where those two terms just are returning to the follower and then the name of the religion. All right. So, Islam was founded in 62 AD, or 622 AD, sorry. So, that is 622 years after um, the birth of Christ that that um, this prophet named Muhammad is, comes on the scene and he creates or he is given this religion by Allah. So we have Muhammad um, let me make sure I spell this right. So we have Muhammad and he is We'll get into his whole history and everything, but essentially what it is, is that he starts to have visions from an angel, and he takes those, as he's getting them, he then speaks the words, he says them verbally to his followers, and those words that he says during these visions make the Quran. And that's, if you want to know how to pronounce that, it's K-O-R-A-N, okay, Quran. It makes it a little easier to pronounce, but it's spelled with a Q. And these, as he is saying these things, his followers hear it and they memorize it. They all memorize it. And so this is an oral book or an oral um, scripture that they are given from Muhammad. And they then later in history, after Muhammad's death, they write it down so it doesn't become lost. And that is today um, you can get a written version of the Quran. This one is in English. Um, if it, just so you know, and we'll probably get into this more in later lessons, the Quran, unless it is written in Arabic, is considered a. Um, uh, a incorrect version it is um, 
it is considered an altered version. It's not pure unless it is in Arabic. So I have a fake version of the Quran. Um, and this is essentially their Bible. Okay. Now, Muhammad is considered by his followers to be the last prophet from God, from Allah. Now, they believe in all the same prophets that we do, like Abraham, um, Noah, Elijah, Jesus, all the other prophets in the Bible, they say, ah, yes, they said good things, they said right things, that we should believe them, unless it contradicts with Muhammad. Muhammad is the last and final prophet. Whatever he says goes and trumps everything else. Okay? So that's how they believe. And they believe that the Bible, the Torah, that the, the original Old Testament from the Jews, all those books have been corrupted. They are not original. They have been twisted and are not. So only the Quran is pure to them. And it's the only thing they can trust. So, um, now... We'll get into a little bit of the beliefs of what they believe in the Quran and what the Quran says. And um, from that Quran, there are five pillars of Islam. Okay, so you may have used, had your teachers um, in the past use this method to explain things to you, uh, like principles of something, that there are pillars of something. So if you have like a building with pillars holding it up, kind of like the Greek Parthenon, and those pillars are what's most important to them. So these are the five things as far as actions that you must do if you are a Muslim. Okay? Let me get better mark. You must have declaration of faith. Um, obligatory prayer. That's like mandatory prayer. You must also compulsory giving. That means you must uh, kind of like tithing for us or giving. They also consider like giving to the poor, charity. So, um, compulsory giving and fasting in the month of, oh, I only have four pillars. Here's the fifth. Um, fasting in the month of Ramadan. You may have heard of them, uh, of their celebration of Ramadan, okay? We'll talk a little bit about that. And then uh, pilgrimage to Mecca. Okay, so there is a place in the Middle East called Mecca where um, it's an important thing in the history of things Muhammad did that we'll talk about later. But they are required, if, you, if you're a good Muslim, you will go there once in your lifetime at least. Okay, so these are the five things that they must do if 
they want to please Allah, to please God, and enter heaven. You must do all five of these things to get to heaven. You must go do them to get into heaven. Um, so, now, I just want you to notice anything here that looks familiar. Think about what we do. Anything? Okay, declaration of faith, right? Important that you, that everyone knows that you believe in Jesus. All right? That you are baptized. That's a way of declaration of faith. Uh, require praying. We pray. That's one thing that we hold important. Giving. We hold that important. Giving of yourself, but more particularly for us, it's to God, not um, to not just charity, okay? And the fasting with Ramadan, not so much. And, of course, we don't require any kind of pilgrimage, all right? Those are not things that we do. But one difference here is that we, we do not see as needing to do works, to do things, to earn favor into heaven. Okay, so now there are also... Um, Six things of faith that they believe. Remember, these are actions that they must do. And now they have six things that, articles of faith that they call them, that you must believe. Almost like um, we have, uh, uh, a lot of the churches have creeds um, that Oh, just a way of stating everything that you believe, summing up what the Bible says. So this is what sums up what the Quran says and what you must have faith in. They must believe in Allah. They believe in angels. They believe in the books. They will call it the books in the Quran, which that is the Quran and the Bible. Those are the things that are holy books. They believe in the prophets. Like I said, the Old Testament and the Bible prophets all the way up to Muhammad and Jesus. They believe in those. Belief in the day of judgment. Okay, that is that Allah, for them, is going to judge them one day. That everyone's going to be judged. And then in Allah's divine knowledge. So, again, see some similarities here, right? Now, we don't require you believe in angels. That's, that's not something to... We don't find that as a sticking point, right? Or um, in all the prophets, right? These are all, but the are things we believe in. We believe in the Bible. We believe in prophets. We believe in a judgment day, and we believe that God has all knowledge. But as you will find out as we go through this, their definitions of things are not exactly the same as ours. Um, so, if you have been listening to the readings of Nabil's book here, the Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, on Instagram, you will have noticed at how often that they are praying, that they are devoted, and how devoted that his family are. Remember, these are the pillars where they have to. They declare their faith. They are constantly praying. They are giving. They are fasting at Ramadan. And um, 
his parents did later in their life make a pilgrimage. So these are things where they're extremely devoted. Um, so now, points, all these things, these pillars that we have over here, they point to the crux of this whole um, point where everything is divided by. It's the line in the sand. You know, you, some, you draw a line in, your, in the sand and you say, if you're on this side, you're step over. If you're on that side, stay over there, right? Dividing up where you stand. You can't just sit on the fence forever. And this is kind of where you find there is a great division between Islam and Christianity in what is that defining factor? Who is that line? And Jesus is that line in the sand. He, anytime you want to get to the heart of truth, to what life is about, always go back to Jesus. Anytime that you, even with other religions, it all comes back to Jesus. That is the rock, that is the foundation on everything that we believe. So it is unlike those six articles of faith that the Muslims have. You have to believe in angels and books and prophets. We say you just have to believe in Jesus. That's the one thing. You have to believe that he died for your sins, that he rose again. He is alive today and he is preparing a place for you. He is preparing heaven for you to be with him forever. Right, that's all that we require you to believe in. Of course, there are many other things that we believe in that support that, but that is the crux of it all. Now, you say, what does that have to do, this Jesus being, have to do with being extremely devout with all these actions that they do? I don't understand that link. Well, because in Islam... In Islam, mercy and redemption they do not exist. They're not there. True mercy and redemption do not exist in Islam. And that is exactly Jesus' purpose to coming to earth is to show us mercy for having sinned and to provide redemption to us through his sacrifice. So now you're not going to find somewhere in the Quran just flipping through it and say, oh, there it says, there is no mercy, no redemption. That's not what is in there. But what you will find is there are many, many chapters or they call them surahs, S-U-R-A-H, in the Quran that talk about the judgment day and how it's going to work. And at the Muslim's judgment day, it's, it's different, quite different from the judgment day that we believe in. The Muslims believe in a Muslim in a judgment day where you ever seen one of these weighing scales a set of balances you ever play around with one of those we used to have one of them and don't ask me but we had one by our fireplace growing up and you have the weights and you could put 
so many toys on one side and see how many pounds it would weigh. And when they were even, that's how much, after you put that one pound weight on there, compared to whatever else is over here on the, and when it balances out, that's what it equals. Well, Muhammad's told them that God is going to judge you. He's going to take all your good deeds, put them on one side, all your bad deeds, and put them on the other side of the scale. And he's going to weigh them out. And if your good deeds don't weigh more, you cannot enter heaven. You can't enter paradise. And you will instead be thrown into hell for eternity. Now, it does not say he has no mercy. He does have mercy. It says it many times that he will have mercy on you. But it is unpredictable. There is no redeemer. There's no Jesus who comes in and says, I will pay for those sins if they believe. I will pay for them if they accept. There is none of that. It, it is very much in contrast to what we believe because Allah, it says that he can decide, hey, um, these good deeds over here, since they're not quite heavy enough to your bad, I'm going to multiply them by 10 just because I like you. I don't know. Yeah, you got nice hair. I'll, I'll multiply your good deeds. Or he says... I didn't like that look you gave me. You got multiplier bad deeds times 26. And it's very much on just how he feels at that time or whatever. And they say, ah, but he is all knowing. He's all powerful. He can do what he wants. Yep, he can. But. I don't know about you, but I would much rather have a God that was also filled with love and chose to send somebody, to send not just somebody, but his son as a sacrifice so that we could be cleansed to be in his presence. I would much rather have that than constantly trying to do um, the right amount of prayers, as much giving, not missing one of the five prayers I must say every day. And throwing in a couple extra just for good measure. Because who could ever live up to that? So in contrast to that, we believe, and I'm, I'm using this verse because I hope you all know it. That way it's easy for you to go to. But John 3, 16 and 17. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever might believe, believeth or whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might through him be saved. So that, that part is important because you see in Islam, Allah is just always condemning them, condemning, condemning constantly throughout all the chapters and surahs in there. But, in stark contrast, black and white, Jesus says, I, God sent me not to condemn you, but to save you. I am here to come here to find the sick, to find the broken, and to heal them. That's why I'm here. 
In Islam, there is no guarantee of safety. Instead, this judgment day is held over your head. It's like, I'm gonna get you if you don't follow the what what I say. If you aren't praying the exact amount of times in the exact way, the memorized prayers, then you're not gonna make it. So you will find very, very little love in Islam. It's it's not there in the Quran, in their faith, in Muhammad's life, there's not a lot of love. It's very stark. And I want, but now I don't want you to be confused into thinking that that means that they, Muslims, do not experience love. Because their families, especially Nabil's, express so much love for them. So I want to just, I know we read some, but in case you haven't heard any of it, I want to read a section again. Just to refresh here. Um, this is from chapter 2 of Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus on page 32. And this is when um, Nabil was a very little, probably like six-year-old boy. And Baji, that's his sister, had just finished playing with me playing with my Hot Wheels and had gone to get the ponies when I continued playing with my Pontiac, racing it along the floor and in between the couches. I looked up and saw the window, the kind that slides up to open. On a whim, I decided it was time for the Pontiac to crash. I raced the car along the windowsill and with a gust of finality, I slammed it against the pane. To this day, I cannot recall the window actually coming down, but I remember the piercing pain and the immense amount of blood and my scream for Ami amid gasping sobs. And I recall what happened next. When Ami came downstairs and saw the accident, she almost began to cry herself. But then in the very next instant, she stayed her emotions, being a Navy wife. She had learned to play the roles of both mother and father, and now it was not time for tears. She chose instead to act swiftly and give her fear to Allah. She raised the window, wrapped my hand in a towel, and deftly donned her burqa which is like the head covering that you see the Muslim women wear. Leaving Baji in, in Mama's care, Ami lifted me up into her car to take me to the clinic. The whole way there, Ami recited the dua, which are Muslim prayers. She offered the dua from portions of the Quran, from sections of the Hadith, which she had memorized, and by impromptu prayers of her own. Her dependence on the sovereign care of Allah gave her strength, firmed her resolve, and allied her fears. Ami, by the way, is the word for mother. When we were arrived at the clinic, I had a rude introduction to the concept of stitches. The doctor tried to dismiss Ami so she wouldn't have to watch, but I refused to be separated from her. As they stitched my hand, Ami continued to pray audibly, indifferent to, to the questioning looks of the doctors and nurses. American Muslims were not common in those days, much less a naval officer's Muslim wife who was wearing a full burqa and mummering aloud in Arabic and Urdu. So you can see the immense love that was in the Beals family. And you that scene probably is not that different from something in your life. I'm sure there was a time where you were greatly hurt as a child and 
your mother or your father, grandmother or grandfather was there to, to be for you, to console you, to make sure everything was going to be okay. And I just want you to see, and you probably have if you've been listening to the videos, that things aren't, besides the religion part, it's not terribly different from how we are. There's still people, they still are need the same things as us. They still need love, they need acceptance, they need purpose, they need, they love food, they love to make food for one another, they love to enjoy company as, as friends and families. It's all the same things. And even for us, similarities between religion, they're always, their lives are centered around the church. They're, they are praying to God often. They are reading their, they read their, their Quran, we read the Bible. They are, um, there's so many things that, that are overlapping, like a Venn diagram. But that one thing that does not overlap is Jesus. And I want you to think about this, that you, if you want to impact someone, it doesn't even have to be a Muslim, it could be anybody, but if you want to have the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, to change their life forever, to allow God to use you, then you have to be sure to treat those that are different in their faith and lifestyle with respect. And to do that, you need to be easy to be around. Think about Jesus. People love to be around him. It wasn't, you didn't feel on edge. You didn't feel out of place. He thought it was easy to be with him. You have to be respectful to the things that they hold important. Okay? You don't just walk in and say, everything in your Quran is wrong. I know that it's corrupted. I know that it is talks about evil things or whatever it might be. That's not the approach to take. While you have to respect what they hold important. If it's important for them that you that you take off your shoes when you come in their house, then do that. If it's important for them that you um, that you don't that you eat whatever they're serving, do that. But at the same time, never compromise the truth of the Bible. Okay, both those things can be can almost always be simultaneously done. And always return to the center of it all. Jesus, he is the one thing that you can always stand on. He is the one who can soften hearts and awaken spirits. It's not you that's going to do it, but it's Jesus. And you can allow Jesus to use you to bring these things, these truths to them. So in the end, Jesus will draw all men to him. That's what he does. He can do it. 
He can use you in so many ways to do it. Um, so as we go through this book, there's going to be many, many more details. We have just talked on the just the tip of the iceberg of all the nuances and details and uh, rabbit trails that you can go down with Islam. But we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at the history of Islam. We're going to look at the miracles that happened to Nabil during his life and his journey to find Christ. We're going to look at debates that he had with people, conversations, heated conversations. We're going to look at prayers that he sobbed through. We're going to even see dreams that he had. And we're going to dive deep on a lot of things. But at the center of all of it, the center of this book is Jesus. That is the line in the sand. That is the door between belief and in unbelief. You can always come back to that and be sure that you are standing on the truth no matter what. So hopefully you guys continue and join along with us with um, some more of this study. And if you guys are looking for a book where you can read it yourself, let us know. Send us a message on Instagram, on Facebook, or to our phones if you have a number. And we will get you a copy. Okay? So thank you very much. And we'll see you next time.